and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one mindful page of Talmud every day. And what is the Talmud mindful of today? Well, the same thing we are all mindful of every day when we pray the temple that we lost, the destroyed Bet HaMikdash in Yerushalayim. Have a listen. The Gemara asks, from where do we derive that we institute ordinances in commemoration of the temple? Rabbi Yochanan said that it is as the verse states, For I will restore health unto you, and I will heal you of your wounds, says the Lord. Because they have called you an outcast, she is Zion. There is none that seeks her. From the book of Jeremiah. From the fact that the verse states, there is none that seeks her. It can be learned by inference that it requires seeking, i.e. people should think of and remember the temple. That is the reason for Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai's ordinance, which strikes me as slightly too legalistic of an explanation to something that is so deeply rooted in our real daily introspection, in our daily prayer, in, in all of religious life, which is why I've decided to call on the heavy guns today. Our guest today is not just one of our greatest living novelists, also the author of a first and incredible book of nonfiction called People Love Dead Jews. She is the one and only Dara Horn. Dara, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I should say that you're also the host of a podcast called Adventures with Dead Jews, soon to debut on this year, Tablet Studio Networks. And most importantly, for our purposes here, a dedicated student of Dafyomi. So as someone who's thought a lot about a lot of things, but particularly about this issue, tell me, why do we perpetuate the memory of the temple? Why is it still so central, you know, even millennia after it's been destroyed? Yes, well, this is something I've spent many years thinking about. I have a book called Eternal Life, which is about a woman who cannot die. And the reason she cannot die is because she has taken a vow in the temple in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, and then the temple was destroyed and she can't get out of her vow. This is obviously you know, kind of a metaphor for Jewish history. But actually, my interest in this topic, I'm going to give you an example related to Sukkot, which comes from a book I wrote about 10 years ago. I wrote a book about Jewish spies during the American Civil War. It was called All Other Nights. Yes, that's about Passover, but these are all pilgrimage holidays, so it all fits together. I discovered something bizarre when I published that book, which is that when you publish a book about Civil War, people show up to your readings in costume. Like I would do an event at Barnes and Noble and people would come like in their, <laughs> you know, Confederate uniform and their oh my or their union uniform. And then they tell you, you know, like, oh, you know, I took on the identity of my great, 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 great grandfather, you know, Charles Ingram the third in the seventh South Carolina regiment. You know, every year I go to Gettysburg, you know, we set up our tents for four days and we fight and reenact the battle. And then and then, you know, and I'm just sitting here like, you know, nodding my head and I'm thinking, like, wow, you people are crazy. Mm -hmm. But then I go home and I build a sukkah in my backyard. <laughs> like, they're eating hardtack, we're eating matzah, you know, but it's kind of for the same reason. And there's sort of this thing about, I mean, there's something perverse with the Civil War stuff because you, know, you have people fighting for the Confederacy, which is, is an empire of evil. But there's something going on here about, first of all, revisiting trauma, but also trying to go back in time. There is this element of time travel that, you know, we are living mortal lives in a world that outlasts us. And this is our sort of constant quest is how do we overcome our own mortality? 
So, you know, in some cases, that's crazy people in Silicon Valley who are trying to figure out ways to live forever. But there's an alternative to that, which is there is this way of seeing time underneath your own and accessing this past. And that is exactly what Judaism does. So there's the great 20th century Jewish historian, Yosef Chaim Yerushalmi, has this book called Zahor, right, which means remember. And one of the things he says is that he's a historian, but history is not what Jews do. What Jews do is memory. And he has this line in there where he says that for Jews, the past is not sort of just a sequence of events that have happened, but a series of situations into which one can be existentially drawn. And that is what we are doing in all Jewish practice, right? We are trying to bring ourselves back to those moments of contact with God. So, I mean, it's almost like, you know, your parents have passed away and you're visiting your childhood home or something like that. But it's much more intense than that, right? Because if that happens, you know, then eventually, you know, these memories accrue, you pass these memories on. But, you know, several generations later, like, you know, and I don't know where my great, great grandparents lived. But there is something that happens instead here where the temple is destroyed. You would think people would, quote, move on. That's not what happens, right? In, oh, God knows how many years we're going to get to Tractate Gitin, where there's a story about Yochanan ben Zakkai, right, who's the man who is mentioned as citing this practice in your passage. There's also two Yochanans, right? There's Yochanan ben Zakkai, who's from the time of the destruction of the temple. And just plain Yochanan. Yes, just plain Yochanan. Not the same person. These are not the same person. They're separated by a couple centuries, I think. But also not a coincidence that we keep hearing the same names coming up over and over again. That's part of this constant practice of reenactment that's built into Jewish life. So Yochanan ben Zakkai, is living in Jerusalem at the time of the Jewish revolt against Rome. And he sees that this revolt is doomed. He has himself smuggled out of the city of Jerusalem in a coffin and brought to the headquarters of the Roman general Vespasian. He pops out of this coffin in this guy's headquarters and says, you know, long live the emperor. Vespasian is a little weirded out to have this guy popping out of a coffin in his headquarters and says, you know, I should First of all, what are you doing in my office? Second of all, I should have you executed for for saying this because I'm not the emperor. Two minutes later, a messenger enters the headquarters and says, Vespasian, Nero has just died in Rome. We need you to come back to Rome to be the emperor. At this point, Vespasian turns to Yochanan ben Zakkai and says, what can I do for you? At this point, you'd think maybe he would say something like, can we save the city? Can we save the temple? Can we you know, stop the siege? No, he says... Can I build this little academy for Torah scholars in this like town outside of the city that no one's ever heard of? And Vespasian's like, sure. And that's what he does. And then Vespasian goes and becomes the emperor and sends his son Titus to destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple. But what happens is in that little town in Yavna, Yochanan ben Zakkai recreates all of Judaism, right? Which before that is really based in the temple. So prior to this, during the time of the temple, what I think is so amazing is that you know, the the whole practice of Judaism is very centered in this temple cult, right? With animal sacrifices and stuff like that. What is amazing to me about that is there's nothing intellectual about that, right? You know, this is not like the, you know, the way we think about Judaism as this tradition of questioning and all. And none of that is going on there. This is all about like blood and guts and animals. And this is just this constant rituals going on that are entirely physical. And a lot of them are pretty bloody. What Yochanan ben Zakkai does is he takes that whole system of this like visceral connection to God that you have in the temple. And he turns it into a virtual reality system where he recreates all of these rituals in ways where everything that we do now is a commemoration of what we did in the temple. So we see this on, I mean, if you've been following along with Dafiomi, you see this like in every single Daf. It's like, what are we doing? Why why do we call the afternoon prayer service Mincha? 
Mincha doesn't mean afternoon prayer service. It means grain offering, because that's when they offer the grain to the temple. So it's like everything that we're doing is sort of like a stand-in for these temple practices. And what I think is amazing about this is you see how Yochanan ben Zakkai had himself smuggled out of the city in a coffin. Yochanan ben Zakkai faked his own death so that Judaism could survive this cataclysm. And actually, Judaism faked its own death so it could survive this cataclysm. <laughs> right? The temple is destroyed, but then you know, it turns out that this death was just faked and then everything is sort of, you know, everything is kept in place and revived. And the fact that, you know, I today, 2000 years later, I'm still practicing these rituals like that. I'm waving around a luav. I mean, this is absurd, right? Like nobody else is. I mean, there, there are obviously there are many cultures that are long lasting, but like with this kind of rupture and that it still is recreated. I mean, this is time travel. You know, this is a way of sort of, you know, achieving a kind of eternal life where there's this, you're able to go back to that moment of being in your parents' house, right? You know, before there was this separation, right? It's this intimacy with God. And these reenactments allow us to sort of go back to that moment and to not just go back to that moment, but to go back to that moment as mature adults, Right. Not as people who are just like, you know, somebody told me there was this book that said I had to sacrifice these goats. So here right. I am sacrificing these goats. Now, going back to that as an as an adult and saying, well, there's this book that told me to sacrifice these goats. What does that mean? Why did you know my parent tell me to sacrifice these goats? Let's talk about that. You know, what is the meaning of that thing that my parent gave to me? How do I bring it into my life now? And isn't that the ultimate, the ability to go back, you know, to your parents' rec room? but this time as an adult with all the insight. Dara Horn, thank you so much for being our guest. Thank you for having me. This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Studios. If you enjoy this show, and I hope you do, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Daf Yomi. I'm your host, Leah Liebowitz, and our producers are Josh Cross, Sarah Fredman-Ader, and Robert Scarmuccia. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You could find us on Twitter at takeonedafyomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we've made your day a little bit more Talmudic, and we'll see you again soon.